0: PART ONE, CHAPTER Sixteen OF JOHNNY Reb AND BILLY YANK. BY ALEXANDER HUNTER. THIS LibriVox RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN. RUNNING THE BLOCK. It was now May, with all the budding loveliness and delicate beauty of this sweetest month of the Twelve. The season was, however, far advanced this year, and had rather the warmth and maturity of June. The army lay encamped around Richmond, recovering from the fatigue of the toiling march from the peninsula. They were in the best of spirits, too, for the affair at Williamsburg had a cheering effect upon the troops, and their morale was never better. The first brigade, with rare good luck, had pitched their tents in a pleasant grove, at whose foot ran a clear stream of water, while lower down was a large branch affording ample means for bathing, the greatest of all luxuries to a soldier, and indispensable from a sanitary point of view. Here, for two weeks, we remained in a state of positive happiness. Rations were abundant and of good quality, a half pound of meat, hardtack, coffee, sugar, and beans, and there were no drills except dress parade and an occasional practice by the company in skirmishing. The days were spent in perfect abandon, lying on our backs in the shade under the trees and whistling for want of thought. Then again new uniforms had just been issued to us, good serviceable grey pants and jackets, with metal buttons also grey coarse shirts and drawers, yarn socks, and brogans. We had long past ceased caring for dress, and that man was brave indeed, who would essay a white shirt and a collar in camp. Questioned in every conceivable manner, ridiculed, jeered at by every one he met, made the butt of a thousand witticisms. In sheer desperation he would be forced to remove the obnoxious garments, and return to the primitive grey and check. The laughter-loving, fun-loving army, like all institutions, had strong opinions of its own, and a code of fashion which was as unalterable as the Medes and Persians. Any grey of the ranks who in camp aspired to cast his chrysalis and bloom into a butterfly might as easily have stormed a fort alone as defied those mighty weapons of rivalry and ridicule. Such a simple thing as a tall beaver hat once came near throwing the brigade into fits, such an article as an umbrella would have raised a regular cyclone of wrath and doomed its unfortunate possessor to an early grave, provided banter and satire could have killed him. And we all remember, oh, how tenderly, as we cherish all such memories of Stonewall Jackson, how when he once donned a showy new uniform which had been presented to him, brave with stars and guilt, and gone outside his tent, his men opened upon him with such shouts and exclamations of amazement and wonder, that he who never flinched under the deadliest fire, who would have led the forlornest hope without a tremor, flushed, pulled his hat over his eyes, re-entered his quarters, and when next seen wore the old rusty faded grey, with its missing buttons, and its gilt tarnished almost black by sun, rain, and storms. This spirit was not confined to the army by any means. Citizens were sometimes as freely criticized as soldiers in their camps. No matter how hard it rained, or snowed, or hailed, any man, who effeminately ventured out under an umbrella, was invited by every little boy and every soldier to come out of it, asked anxiously about his health, and how long it took for water to dissolve him. A shining new overcoat, showing by its length its recent make, for such was the new style of cut, was ever greeted with, "'Mister, I see your feet!' while a gaily colored necktie, a conspicuously displayed handkerchief, or any article of attire calculated to attract attention invariably paid the penalty. Citizens were the soldiers' own piece de resistance, his to jeer, to laugh at, to comment upon whenever he passed his little jokes around, and be sure he never hesitated to say behind their back what he greatly preferred to say to their faces. Next in order was the quartermaster, or boom-proof, department, Upon which was launched volleys of running fire, and woe to any one, citizen, quartermaster, commissary, or cavalryman who took offence thereat. It was all that was needed to fill the adversary's cup of happiness to the brim. Then, for the nonce, better for the poor soul had he never been born. Of course, when visiting Richmond, the soldiers made their toilets as carefully as the simple Simon dons his Sunday suit to go to meeting with his Mary Jane, cleaning and furbishing polishing and beautifying generally, but not the slightest display of vanity or fashion was ventured upon. While in camp we witnessed for the first time a drumming out. Two soldiers who had deserted were caught, tried and sentenced to be drummed out of their regiment. The brigade to which they belonged was drawn up in line, as if upon dress parade, the ranks being in open order. The adjutant advanced along the line until reaching the centre. He faced to the front stepped forward several paces, halted, saluted the colonel, then, turning to the regiment, took a paper from his sash, and proceeded to read the charges and specifications against the accused, after which came the findings of the court-martial. Sheathing his sword, he retired, and from the left of the line the two prisoners were marched twice up and down the extended ranks, a guard on either side, with a drummer and a fifer in front playing the rogues' march. One of them, a young fellow, seemed to feel the shame of it keenly. He hung his head, and the hot flush and deadly paleness alternated on his face. The other brazened it out, and proved himself of such hardened fibre that disgrace, if he felt it, made no outward impression. The heads of both were closely shaven, and though their appearance was ludicrous in the extreme, not a smile was seen along the entire ranks. It seemed worse than a funeral and more solemn, for it meant the burial of manhood and self-respect, After they had been marched up and down twice, they were brought back to the center, halted, and branded in their souls, as it were, carrying each his stigma, were permitted to go their way. This proved the first and last instance of drumming out that ever occurred in our army, for such kind of punishment met with so little favor from officers and men that it was universally condemned. This unexampled public degradation, they reasoned, would kill all self-respect, and in nine cases out of ten ruin a man's future entirely. No gallant conduct or desperate bravery in the field could ever restore the honor that was lost. Dead to all incentive, utterly paralyzed to all exertion, the man would be sent adrift in the world, about as well ticketed to moral destruction as he could well be. For when you break a man's spirit and take all hope away, you do your very worst for him, both in this world and the next. It is all over with him then again men were too scarce to be turned out of the army to make citizens perhaps criminals or both or worse yet deserters to the enemy thereby increasing their strength just in proportion as ours was weakened the bullet and barrel shirt were substituted orders now came to move the brigade nearer to richmond and with many a regretful sigh we left the pleasant grove and after a few hours march pitched our tents in an open field about two miles from the seven-hilled city The old routine of camp existence was only varied by running the blockade into the city. This was no easy task, as the cordon of guards enveloped the place and picketed every road, with strict orders to stop every soldier without a pass, and send him back to his regiment. There, in the enforced solitude of a guard tent, which on a warm summer day was only a little less hot than the furnace-room of a steamboat, he could spend days bemoaning his sins, or rather his bad luck, for the former implies contrition, and in this case the offender only wanted the chance to try again. The truth is it required sharpness, good fortune, and address all combined, to avoid detection, and even after a soldier had reached the city, it was a jump, as the old saying is, from the frying pan into the fire. The provost guard patrolled the streets, and woe to any poor soul who fell into their clutches. He was ignominiously hurled into castle thunder for the day, and afterwards forwarded to his company there his arrival was signalled by derisive cheers from his comrades who having once been caught in the same trap were delighted to have others in like predicament the soldiers sometimes wrote their own passes and countersigned them with the name of the colonel and generals but that ruse failed to be effectual for officers well versed in all the wiles of soldiers strategy as well as detectives who could tell at a glance whether or not the countersigns were genuine scrutinized each pass with as much care as an expert does the signature of witnesses in a disputed will-case. On one occasion, two of Company A, myself and comrade, with anything but tender consciences, lay awake at night trying to devise some plan that would obtain free ingress to the city, keep us unmolested while there, and bring us safely out. The result was that after so many hours spent in sifting the pros and cons, It settled down to a single plain stubborn fact, that unless we could get the bona fide signatures of the general commanding, all efforts would be in vain. That was a bright idea, surely, as bright indeed as the young rodent in the fable, who moved in a congress of rats, that the cat should be belled. So with us it was who was to bell the cat, and how. We drew straws for the unlucky one of the two, and Walter Addison drew the short straw, and was thereafter left to his own devices and from the depths of down-reaching ruminations which he feared would unsettle his brain evolved the following letter my dear aunt as requested i hereby send you the autograph of our commander-in-chief general johnston then going boldly to his tent he asked the orderly for admittance for with general johnston the private could often obtain an audience when officers high in rank were kept in waiting the soldier handed the general his letter who, with one quick glance at his petitioner, seized his pen and wrote his name at the bottom. To salute and get out of the tent was the work of a second. And then the young rascal ran as fast as his legs could carry him to his conferee in camp. Together, in banded iniquity, we rubbed out the words in pencil and inscribed others, so that the paper read, Pass in and out of Richmond, at will, the bearer and friend, for two weeks. J. E. Johnston, General Commanding. On that pass we went in and out, and out and in, till the very stones and the road knew us, so virtue is ever its own reward. However, emboldened by success, we overdid the matter, and remaining in the city on a regular visit of several days, were confined in the guard-house for nearly a week. But we kept our secret and our precious piece of paper. Our rations for the month still continued good and wholesome. A pound of flour, half a pound of bacon, a quarter of a pound of rice, sugar and coffee, with now and then an allowance of beans and onions. The health of the men was excellent, the discipline of the troops perfect, and the army had a profound confidence in General Johnston. No private soldier in the ranks feared for the result of the impending struggle, which all knew was close at hand. End of Part 1 Chapter 16